Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. This is Paul. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of remembering how great the game was and still is. This week we are speaking of one of the new published games by TriTac Games. We are going to look over the Weird Zone game. If you want to check out something really cool, you need to tune in to the TriTac Podcast. What's that you say? TriTac? What's a TriTac? TriTac is one of the oldest role-playing companies around. They make games like... Fringe Whitlet, FTL 2448, Hardwired Hinterland, Beach Bunny Bimbos with Blasters. Designed for D20 and Savage Worlds, these games will kick your dice into overdrive. Whether you want to combat the denizens of the underworld, travel the galaxy, get crazy with bimbos, or travel the multiverse and do it all, TriTac has you covered. Go to TriTacGamers.com to see what it's all about. That's T-R-I-T-A-C-Gamers.com. And check out our weekly podcast at TriTacSystems.Podbean.com. Or simply enter keyword TriTac in iTunes. You're gonna love it. In the void weather, in a lighthearted game, probably you're not gonna have one more than one event per trip, and probably not one event every trip, especially if one of them is damaging. And if you want it to be a harder, nastier, edgier, whatever, you just keep ramping up the void weather. And more and more things happen. And you say your house gets burned down. When I was looking at this thing, the first thing I thought to myself was, I got to build a root cellar. I got to build myself a bomb shelter so I can just pull the cover over while I'm traveling. And whatever shows up on top of this place, I just ignore it. Especially when you get a grav cloud and you're outside when a grav cloud hits. Um, which means you start floating in the wrong direction in case of yeah. you. For all the people who haven't <laughs> read this, which is everybody we're trying to talk to. <laughs> now, okay, the impression I'm getting reading through this is this was purely intended as a lighthearted game. Based on the way the encounters are, the encounter groups, the the way the, the weird weather works and some of the effects, this was meant to be a lighthearted fun game. You just kind of laugh, you joke, and stuff like that. It really wasn't intended for grit and hard crunch. No, but it could be. I mean, it really... Yes, it could be. Like the bad season of Sliders. Oh. Which season was that? Starting episode one? Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> no, I love Sliders, but but which season was that, John, you're talking about? That's when they got rid of, they, they got rid of the, the female character, and they start, They brought in the crow bags full-time. It's like, oh... Oh, yeah. 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 Then they, they got rid of, uh, uh, what's-his-name left the show, and they, and they gave him a clone. And his brother. So let's let's talk about that just, just real quick, okay? So so people understand they want to get a feel for this, okay? Because uh, it's it's always easy to relate it to things in popular culture already. Uh, it gives you a better idea of how to integrate this and what we're talking about. So this is slider ish, except instead of you transiting, it's you and your your hab zero plot. Yeah, uh, that's essentially it because you're you're going through uh, different dimensions. It's not you're not going back in time. Well, no, you're not going back in time. I mean, there's no reason to think that. No, it's the same thing we did in Fringeworthy, which is it's time shifted, which means that events started happening later than on our world. Therefore, it seems like we're going back in time, but we really aren't. Time still moves ahead at the same rate. If you go back to the Wild West, you're not going back to the Wild West. You're going to another dimension where. The Wild West is now. And folks, something that Rich did tell me about Weird Zone, it's sort of a bypass of the Fringe Worlds. I mean, it says in Weird Zone you can use Fringeworthy's portal books as ideas. Rich told me you are bouncing from Fringe World to Fringe World, but not using the Fringe Paths. 
So you're in Fringeworthy? No. No. no you're not. You're not Fringeworthy, but he told me you're bouncing from Fringe World to Fringe World. It's the same idea that you're traveling dimensions. That's all. But, but hold on. This is important. So you're not in the Fringeworthy worlds? Or not? Are, are you... I was told by Rich that you are going from Fringe World to Fringe World, but via zero plot, not by the Fringe Pads. So if that's the case, then that means that you could interact with Fringeworthy stuff, which means if you could figure out how to untether yourself from the zero point, you could join a Fringeworthy campaign. Or the other way around, if you're playing Fringeworthy, you could then take those players into... A zero um, plot and get drawn that way, yes. 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 Hmm. You better have a crystal, and you ha- better have your <laughs> portal detection skill maxed out so that when you go to a new world, you can say, hey, let's. I know where the portal is. Let's get off this zero plot, because I, I have a feeling that if you actually can remove yourself from that dimension, that they, the zero plot won't be able to drag you back. Bruce, I was just thinking that. A zero plot around a ring station. Exactly. Oh, dude, that's like putting a portable hole in a bag of holding. No, 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 no. (laughs) Zero plot with a portal sitting on it. Hey, you know what it is? You know what it is? The zero plot is actually a floating decimal place in the Fringeworthy Matrix. (laughs) Somebody divided by zero. No, no, I got it. It's an imaginary number in the uh, the Fringeworthy Mathematical Matrix. It's what it does with all the imaginary numbers. I have to give the backstory on this one, because... Because I think both me and Bruce know what the backstory on this one. Probably not. <laughs> it was fringeworthy, and the event that caused the zero plots to be formed was a certain ruler of a country. You know, it's called Libya. Unburied the, the Rabina Sand Sea portal uh, and tried to fix it. I don't like that. That was the original version, though. I don't care. I don't yeah. like that. You know what I like? The French path is a mathematical equation. The Tremelin did not say, hey, I want a world to go here. They set in place a mathematical equation, and the French paths were built. So I like it being... A f- floating point error? It's like a floating point error, right? It's, it's one of those mathematical numbers that doesn't work out, and it happened to hit you. Yeah. Now remember, though, because based on the pre- on the story premise, you're not the only one from your world out floating around. Right. There are like hundreds or, or thousands of zero point zero plots floating off of, off of off of your Earth out there going around someplace. But what it also says there's only one zero point plot on any of the alternate worlds that you go to. That's correct. Which, by the way, I don't like because to me, I was like, let's say this happens. And on one of the other zero plots that you're synced up with, have two of them synced together, is somebody you really hate. And now you're chasing them from world to world. Oh. Yeah. I, I mean, why can't you, you know, okay, I'm going to jump ship. But I'm going to jump ship with a long piece of cable. And I get to the other zero plot. I drive in, I drive in a stake, pull over some more cables, drive in some more stakes. And you guys stir up the winches and pull the zero plot over. <laughs> If you had two of them in sync with each other, then you could have a chase, much like what they did in Sliders. Yeah. Where they were chasing that one guy. It really boils down to it's your game. You can do whatever you want with it. That's a very valid adventure plot twist. I like that. Otherwise, the game is pretty much about you going and trying to improve your homestead every place you go. It's all about, okay, we got this made. Now what's the next thing we want to get made? What next thing we want to improve? Because essentially, this is your ship. You're trying to improve your ship as you go along through adventure after adventure as you land. You never go back to the same world, so therefore everything that happens is gone. It's like most science fiction shows where you never go back to the same world ever again. Space 1999 is a good example. This would allow you to have an ongoing story arc. Two zero plots somehow sync up and and arrive at different worlds, but they may not sync up on their leave time. You may leave before the other guy. Or you may arrive before the other guy. Yeah. Or he might arrive before you. In the description, they were saying zero plots are not a specific size. So would it be possible, do you think, let's say... You've been traveling for a little while, and you've got, I don't know, harpoon guns. And you, say, harpoon another 
floating had that's going by, another Xeroplot that's going by. Could you tether them together? Do you think you could you could combine them? Yeah. Well, there's nothing in the game that says you can't. Just to say what happens if they were tethered to each other. I mean, like I would imagine if you could com- that 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 sphere that goes around it, like a bubble. If you got those two close enough, you could pull the two worlds close enough to or two zero plots together close enough. I would imagine those bubbles combining, and you could actually join forces with another uh, another zero plot. I think that would be kind of neat. Or when either transits, it takes a nibble of the other one, leaving one behind in weird space, and the other disappears. Remember the game, the the movie uh, Xanthora. What was that movie? Um, Zathura. It was the sequel to Jumanji. Was it that really? Was a sequel? Yes, it is. Yes. Oh, I, did, I didn't know that. I, okay, Zarathura. When I was looking through Weird Zone, I mean that that is the movie that came to mind. That is like the best example that came to mind to me of of what this is like. I would imagine that Zathura. Okay, but now they they might they never go out of the Weird Zone. They just basically stay in it, but. I think that would be a really good movie to watch to get a feel for what it's like to travel through this space. And just imagine that at some point that house winds up somewhere where you can do adventures and stuff. You have like the other ships traveling through the space. Dude, I totally see a spaceship flying through here and messing with you. Oh, yeah. Well, if you could go and combine plots by doing that, then that would be the whole next section of your campaign would be trying to find more and more plots together and linking them together because assuming that they are experienced travelers, they haven't just gotten grabbed off of their world, they're going to have rich resources because of all these different plots, what some of them have, what some of them don't have, the skills that are going to be on the the people who are on the various different plots. You could create a growing community this way. Of course, when you land, Small town is suddenly going to appear on somebody's world. Right. This town just boom. <laughs> Zero pirates. <laughs> somebody's gated community suddenly disappears and is replaced by this carnival, as you put it. Done and done. You now have the plot for the Eric Flint, David Weber novel, 1632, which reads like he was looking at Weird Zone. A whole town in in 1990s West Virginia disappears and reappears in 1632 in the Thuringian forests of Germany during the Thirty Years' War. So, John, is this what happens to that colony, that Virginia colony? Roanoke? Roanoke. Roanoke, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, I know it. The current, current, yeah, the current theory says they simply left and then they bred with the Indians. Right, sure. My, My next question would be, where this goes. So we've talked about all the stuff you can, you know, all the cool stuff you can do and how neat this is. If you, if you do start with Tom Tarledov, that means there's people out there who know how to travel this stuff. So they can like guide it. You mean like sail it like, like you would on a ship. Like there's a reason for this existing. Like I want to go here now. There's a man in a blue phone booth. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. There's a lion dude with a crystal. Yeah. I say turn it I say turn it back on Fringeworthy. You know what? There's a nice way to explain that that zero plots are a result of the weapons used in the Commonwealth Miller War. Dude, I know what it is. It's a portal that's been dislodged. It's a ring, like a warp like you know, like like one of the rings. One of the portals got blown up, and as the rings went floating through space, they landed in a dimension and picked up a hab. Hmm. Okay. Or as an unplanned result, every portal created creates a zero plot. Ooh. <laughs> oh, that's not a comforting it's an unplanned, thought. It's, not a, it's an unplanned side effect in Tamerlan, like, eh, small loss. Right. A campaign can only be random for so long. Yeah. You know, the players can only be happy with just bouncing around, un, you know, here After and there. After a while, they're going to realize that there is a purpose for this, why this happened, why they are even in this weird zone. They run by the mega plot. It's a plot that never leaves the weird zone. It's huge, and you can dock and stuff like that, and then you pop off again because you can't stay. Sorry, you can only stay for so long, and you got to go. 
John, that gets old. I feel like at some point we have to create some mechanism yeah. for them to gain control of their destiny. Yeah. Otherwise, they'll always feel like pawns. We need to talk about what is the goal of the campaign. Yes. One of the possible goals is escape. They figure out some way of tethering their plot to a world permanently. Game over. Yep. Or they figure a way to, to get back to where, where they came from. Just being able to land somewhere and stay there, you know, then it comes down to now we can do it. Now we have to choose what's the best place to go. But hold on. I just feel like instead of doing that, what would be better is for them to figure out how to control it. It just seems to me that, that okay, oh, they figure out where they're going to land and now the campaign goes here. Now, that's kind of cool if you get buy-in from your players if they say – well, look, we're going to play this for a while, and then we want to go to, say, the cyberpunk world, and then we're fine playing there from here on out. But what if they're, you know, they're like, no, I like this traveling thing, but I just don't want to be its victim. I want to be its master. I want to go back to that world we played we played on six six sessions ago. That was a neat world. I want to go back there. You could make it part of the Frenchworthy world and say – Basically, they're victims. You're like, don't they're not even Frenchworthy. We start out. We start with Weird Zone. We play Weird Zone for a year, for example, and then at, during that year, the plan is is that you will eventually get them to a place where they land, and they're you know that that's where they'll be. However, through the, all this traveling, they have become Frenchworthy, and now you start playing Frenchworthy. You know what what, what zero plots are. They're baby pokey walls. Could be that, yeah, sure. It's just w- waiting for some pl- so, some some uh, platform to to kick off a alt and snatch him up and turn him into a pokey wall, <laughs> or a pocket stop for those of you folks who are not up with the current terminology. Yeah, pocket stop. Yeah, assuming that there are still fringe building machinery going. I, I hate to, to always turn this into fringe work. Oh come on, really, Peter? You hate <laughs> doing this. No, 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 I no, no, no. I mean, for, for the listeners, because not everybody, no, not every TriTech listener is a fringeworthy player, and I'm, I'm really yeah. not trying to pigeonhole everybody into that. I, I'm really not. Yeah. I'm just saying that this does lend to that very well, though. Well, fringeworthy is the the glue of the what I call the Tahokaverse. So sure, yeah, but, I mean, yeah, it's the overarching thing. But look, in all fairness, you could always end it in the Bureau Thirteen world, you know, and now you've got. Great Bureau 13 agents because they are seasoned for anything crazy that happens. You you could just say, okay, they tether, you know, they land there, they never have to transit again, they they break away from their zero point, right? And now they're in the Bureau 13 world and you could play Bureau 13. That's fine too. Or it could be an incursion thing. You do the same thing with incursion. You can do it with any one of Tritech's products. I'm just saying that I feel like Fringeworthy is the best lead into this. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying is it, it can be used as a uh, as a method for determining what kind of game you guys want to play on the long term. I mean, every world you go to is going to be a different kind. One's going to be old west. One's going to be futuristic. One's going to be supernatural. One's going to be cyberpunk. And you see what the players respond to, and then when you, and you see, oh yeah, they really got jazzed up by the cyberspace one. Then the last one, they get to that one, and they ground there, and that's where you you just basically start running a campaign from there, and the whole weird zone part is over. It could be simply just a a, a GM device for determining what kind of game they want to play. If you are going to say do say a, like a year-long campaign, maybe you start out with three players. You end with six. It's one of the few games where you can simply say, oh, yeah, and you can bring on the uh, – the cybernetic robot on board because yeah, this, you find him out of this world. There he is, bang, and he joins the zero plot. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's nothing to say that you're that the people that get on your zero plot are going to be humans. I mean, they could be aliens. The the people who step onto your zero plot from the worlds in which it grounds, they may be aliens, like they are in the example that they gave. The genetic constitution of your populace on your zero plot may be very, very diverse. Honestly, a really great place to end this would be the hardwired hinterland. Maybe they wind up in the hardwired hinterland, and that's what breaks the cycle, just because of the way that world is. I could see, you know, you're traveling around, going to this world, that world, that world, and you wind up in the hardwired hinterland, and the hinterland just goes, nope, 
severing your ties. You're not traveling anywhere from here. Now you're trapped. And that would be a good place to end up a campaign for a while because then, of course, you know, there is a Frenchworthy portal there. You could get out if you wanted to and go somewhere else, um, which could lead you to any world like the Bureau 13 world or whatever. But um, even if you don't get stuck there, that's a place you could pick up like a raccoon dude or whatever because, you know, that's that's a place where animal people are uh, are very common. Peter, you can still pick up a raccoon, dude. It just depends on where you go. Sure, I know, but Hardware Hinterland's a good place to pick them up because that's yeah. that's a place where they they are definitely well spelled out in the Chahokaverse. You just got you just got to find the right bar and have a good pickup line. Right. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, well, it, it, the, the incursion worlds. You can find them there. Cause, yeah. Because Incursion has whatever you want to run into. Nothing says that you actually are going to Earth. No. The one example is not Earth. Right. Unless it's an alternate Earth. Unless it's a really alternate Right, exactly. Uh, alternate biological. You will not go someplace where your characters will be killed the instant they appear. You don't appear in water or low, low marshy swampy areas. There's a certain temperature range all the time. Was yeah. it negative 50 to 110 degree yeah. Fahrenheit, but the mean is usually 40 to 80 degrees? Yeah. So it's like someone is in control. So, you know, th so this is where you may ask yourself, is this technology or is this magic? From that description, you know, this sounds like a really excellent game to pitch towards kids who are like 10, 12, 13, 14, and this will be one of their first role-playing games. Yeah. When you appear, nobody gets hurt. You're not throwing adult issues with weather and and things at kids. There, it's like here's this house, and you know you're out of spaghetti house. Go. Or you're at yeah a school. Then have them all at a school. Like the junior high, yeah. Bring in the Boyd engineer because if you're playing kids, you're gonna want them to have that background information because if you put them in the super gritty, no. Yeah. Yeah, and there's also a chance the school may actually have an emergency generator, therefore you don't get the power initial power outage until they realize that they're not going to get any more gas until they drain every car in the parking lot. Right. But it, you know, there's probably solar cells in the in the science lab. If you do it where they're there on a weekend, where there's just a small club getting together, and most of the school is empty, that's actually a lot of resources available to them. Better yet, you have five high school kids in a library, a, a thug, a pretty girl, uh, teacher who's stuck watching over them. There's dad, there's his gaming buddy, and then there's the kids. I can hear them saying, look, we've got to get our act together and go and find some foods and some resources. Otherwise, it's going to be mystery meat every day, every meal. <laughs> For those of you not getting my reference, I was doing The Breakfast Club, in case you were yeah. yes. Back to my point, this makes a great game for kids because the next game session, you start out on another world, gear it towards the attention span for kids. It's, it's something new every weekend. Because kids aren't going to want to play a campaign. Not in the 12 to 14-year-old range. They're going to want something new. So this game session, you're in the Middle Ages. This next game session, you're in the Old West. The next game session, you're on an alternate future, you know, Earth, year 2500. Actually, we were talking about, you know, picking the game system to play with this. That actually would be a great way to introduce them to different game systems. Wait, wait, John, before we go, there is one more thing I want to talk about. What is our general methodology for dealing with the world that we land on. Now, the obvious one, of course, is raiders, okay, where you just peel out and you try to get everything you can and drag it back before you go to the next one. There's some other possibilities here. Uh, one of you guys mentioned it, carnival. Okay, you could essentially s set your place up 
as a, a fun house, as a carnival or whatever like that. And when you arrive, you start saying, okay, play, crank up the music, put on the costumes, you know, everybody come on over. We got a show to show you, you know, and even if they're aliens and don't speak the language, there's pantomime, there's all kinds of things. You could have like a, a kind of a burlesque kind of thing you could do where you could give <clears throat> a theatrical production as your way of bringing in resources. You could put up a big sign saying, you know, showing the objects that you're interested in, like, you know, food, tomatoes, whatever like that, cans that, you know, look like gasoline into cars or whatever. And then people who show up have to give you those things that they want to come in and see what you have inside. Um, another possibility is you run a restaurant. Your plot is now a restaurant. Every place you go, you're going to be serving them whatever food that you can get your hands on. And again, this is more lighthearted. So people will show up and pay you or, or bring in stuff for you to cook for them because you're these strange, exotic people with strange, exotic spices from who and those, whatever, making pancakes. Nobody's ever made pancakes in this world before. Maple syrup, oh my goodness. Uh, you know, I, you're the interdimensional taco truck. <laughs> <laughs> it's an opportunity to introduce people to the best of your culture or the worst of your culture, depending upon how they react to it. Ladies and gentlemen, larvae of all ages, welcome to Dr. Parnassus' World of Freaks. <laughs> if you want to run it really lighthearted, from reading the description of it, you know, you travel through this this weird space and you see stuff every once in a while floating by. It doesn't have to be like that. I mean, you could, if you really want to make it really lighthearted and really fun and really interesting, weird space could be this like interactive kind of space where you're always seeing stuff. You're always seeing other habs around. Every time you go into this thing, you're kind of likely to see this in any one of these other habits you're used you, you know used to dealing with it could be this other entire like environment that you deal with like it like a it can almost be like its own city with floating ports that you you travel amongst you know because you don't have to worry about getting trapped over there because as soon as your your habitat sets down somewhere you'll get yanked to that location anyway oh oh wait a minute no maybe not no you could get trapped there right oh let me take that back let me take that back. No, you could get trapped there. If you're on another, if you're on another zero plot, you go with that one. Yes. Yeah. But if if it's as frequent as we're talking about, you could always get back to your own pretty easily. Yeah. Because it would show up regularly. Right. And that's why I was thinking about the, the like the restaurant because your zero plot could be a restaurant that basically sure. services any number of other zero plots that are around. Sure. So they're br they're bringing the adventure to you because you're a central point of communication and interaction right and and that's where you would have like um you'd want to collect things like airplanes and blimps and 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 um jetpacks so that you could get to the other ones you could be the the flying flea market uh, sure yeah and but you barter you don't take you we barter for things because especially like gasoline or fuel fuel of some sort and things like that you know and and, it's, and you because you, if you go fishing uh you can fish the uh, uh, weird space, and you know what? You have a good chance of getting something. You might get a whole lot of something. You know what? You can sell that at the world you go to. Yeah, because you know what? Some of these zero points that are floating through space, they don't necessarily have people on them. Who said they have to have people on them? Yeah. Maybe it's just some random building floating by. Maybe it's a gas station floating by, and you jump over there and you suck their tanks dry. According to Richard, the zero space is full of junk. You put a net out, every, say, two and a half hours, you have a better than 75% chance of snagging something. You know, you and your group are like, you know what? We're going to specialize in, in fishing that stuff regularly. That's what we... We don't just, like, just hang out on our habitat and sleep during our time. No, we're constantly looking for stuff. We collect telescopes and stuff. It's the deadliest catch in interdimensional space. <laughs> you jump across to one, you're like, oh, great, we got all this stuff. And oh, my God, there's some nasty stuff on this thing. Or you snag something in your nets and you don't know what the heck it is, but it's it's wiggling and moving. <laughs> oh, look, kids, we've caught Cthulhu. Again! <laughs> Squids in space! You might snag your uh, evil twin. Right? Ooh. 
I was thinking like a lithid. So that means you you you're, you find someone looks just like you, but has the goatee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, in my in my well, no, in my case, he wouldn't have a goatee. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> I need to be clean shaven because I have a full beard. <laughs> I don't trust. I don't trust you. Don't trust you. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you got a good chance of catching pet food. Pet food. Pet food? Yeah. You have a two percent chance of catching pet food. A two percent chance of getting beverages. A 2% chance of getting spice, a 3% chance of getting canned food, and a 2% chance of getting MREs. <laughs> so that adds up to what? R, 2, 4, 12%. You got 12% chance of getting food. If you get a hit every hour, that means that if in the weird space long enough, you have a pretty, you have a possibly an even, even chance of being able to supply yourself just by fishing. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what Richard, I think he, he set that up on purpose. Let's talk about what adventures you're going to run in this. I mean, okay, so so we've talked about how this weird space works and things, you, you know, places you can go and maybe where it's going in the future and stuff. But let's talk about actual adventures, you know. So your your game starts. Uh, it's your first adventure. You know, it's just, you're introducing the characters and stuff. Um, but the next game session you get together – what kind of adventures can you run? I mean, what 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 do we do with this? So you zero plot appears outside of Moscow during the Patriotic War. Okay, when would that be, John? Some of us have never oh, heard of it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. During World War II, the Germans are attacking. You're outside Moscow, and you're 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 in that lovely space between the Germans and the Russians. I don't want to be in that space. That's not a good space. <laughs> yeah. Poland, John. <laughs> we, we, that, so that's what you think is the first adventure. Is that right, John? That is not a first adventure. That's what we call a meat grinder. It'd be a later adventure. Yeah, it's definitely be a later adventure. Much later. <laughs> yeah, when you have some fortifications. The next adventure, your, your characters are kind of like trying to figure out what they're going to do. They've been through this space. They've landed somewhere. Uh, they figured out, oh, oh man, we've only got so much food. We only got so much water. You know, we don't have running water anymore, no power or whatever. What's our first adventure? What do we do? Where do we land? Where do we put these guys? And what is the adventure goal? Is it, is it just a collection thing? I can't Uh, imagine it being anything but a collection thing and a fabrication thing. Okay. Yeah. Also, as a GM, do you want to make it a short stay or a long stay? I mean, yes, you can roll for it, but you can decide. You can always decide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should be long enough to accomplish your goals. As a game master, you probably want to let the players try and get their feet about them. Maybe get some supplies. Maybe not give them everything, but give them the time to get everything they need and, and the wherewithal to get everything they need. But depending on how they play determines how much of that they actually get. Yeah, I mean, the suggested uh, first landing that's in the book is a raid. Yeah, yeah. You're raiding abandoned buildings for stuff. You have no no idea why the buildings are abandoned. No, no, you know what I like? You know what I like it would be better, I think, is some rural town in Kansas to where you have to actually deal with people. Ooh. You know, but you can get stuff. There's stuff there. Like, there's, I don't know what kind of stores they have, but I know we have here. We have, like, um, the, what is it, the 4-H stores? Yeah, it's Kansas, but they, they all speak French. Okay, sure, that'll work, whatever. Yeah. But but a situation where they have to deal with some people, but not, like, the military and some, you know, major police force or something. Maybe a couple, you know, Barney Fife's and, a, and an Andy. A gendarme or two, you know? Right, yeah. So, something that they can deal with, that they can handle, where they don't have to go on a slaughter fest, or they don't have to, like, run for the hills. But something that they actually have to, like, deal with on a role-playing level... But they can also get some goods, you know. They they can they can get into the the store and get some 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 oats and some I don't know some generators. And their plot conveniently appears in this big open area that's open for development that no one's built there yet, and that's where their plot appears. Yeah. So they don't have to worry about you know did oh, I kill somebody? Sure, sure. And maybe you know if they're thinking properly, maybe they pull in a bulldozer or something. You know, maybe they pull in some construction equipment because. You know, we haven't really talked about that yet, but, you know, having a a bulldozer with a scoop on your uh, zero plot could be super, super handy. 
as an interesting first adventure is that they land in a, an urban area, not necessarily really inner city. It could even be inner city. And they go out and they get caught. They know that they're going to come back because the Voyage engineers told them that. People saw this happen and they're like, what you know? What have you done and all this stuff? And they're trying to explain themselves to the police. The, of course, nobody's going to believe them. They're going to try to put them into mental institutions. And then what happens, while this is going on, they get rescued. They get rescued by a group on the world that believes them and has said, you know, we've got to do something to save these people. We've got to do something to help them out, to let them know that we're not terrible people, that we, we understand their plight. And so they either rescue them, they pay their bail, and they bring them back to their plot. And all these guys with pickup trucks show up with coolers full of coolers, and, and they all toss them on. They say, good luck. And you're saying, get off because we're about to leave. And they all have a big tearful goodbye, and everyone's staying around with the cameras rolling, and you vanish from sight. It isn't a bad adventure. It ends up you actually feeling like there's people out there that'll help you if you give them a chance. And you end up with the rear end of one pickup truck because it was right across the line. That's fine, too. Yeah. Or somebody at the very last moment goes and hurls himself on. You know, I hate this world. <laughs> but you can also have this as your... You can do one of... What's that? Quantum Leap? Yeah. That'll show where everywhere you reappear... You've got so many hours to do a, a certain sort of preordained good deed, and when it's completed, the house moves on. So the house appears in the Rift Valley in Africa, proto-hominids, and you give them that shot of antibiotics they need to get over some prehistoric version of the flu, or there will be no mankind. You facilitate that breach birth. You do some good deed, and then the house can go. You don't necessarily have to start with being abducted by your house. The house can appear, and you meddling kids are going to investigate it. And then it goes away. It basically, that's not your house. If it's a zero plot appears on your world, you go investigate, it goes away, and takes you along with it. That would be a good Bureau 13 adventure. Yeah. Oh, that, here's a spin off of that thought, John. The style of the house remains the same. It just gets swapped for a different one. So it's the same two-story, three-story Victorian house to everybody observing it. But that Victorian house gets swapped for another one that's 15 years in the future or 40 years in the past with different occupants. Actually, there's a Japanese anime, it always is, called Popotan. It's about a house that's been hopping around through time, but it's pretty much the same premise. They end up someplace where they have to do a good deed before they can, before they can, you know, go and go someplace else. Plenty of examples out there of stuff like this, where you know the, the wandering house, the shop down the alleyway that sells magical goods. It's a zero plot. You know that could make a really great Bureau Thirteen adventure, where your agent's assigned to this house because every couple weeks. This house is replaced by an identical house, but with different occupants. Hmm. And you got to kind of swoop in, take control of the situation, keep them from interfering with the locals and letting the supernatural out, give them some new supplies and wait for them to go back on their way and get replaced with the normal house. That's possible. That's, that's, a, that's potential. Or it shows up. I mean, it's, it's going to be a long stay house. It's going to be there for the full 56 hours. It shows up in weird things happening, and you just have me in the neighborhood. Yeah, so you pull up in your RV, and you realize the road doesn't match. The road's actually out of a line, because the plot didn't land square. The road's actually at a 10-degree angle to the original road. <laughs> you know, weird, weird things like that, and you're trying to figure out, what the heck is going on here? And yeah, your Bureau 30 agents with your RV, you're probably the best you know, next to a friendsworthy team. The best group to go go adventuring in the weird zone at that point. All right, let's talk about what kinds of game systems would be good for this. Hmm. I personally think it would be best to have a game system that was very light in skills or allowed you to gain skills very quickly. Yeah. Mm, Savage Worlds. Uh, actually, I was thinking if you want to be more storytelling about you, if you really want to be light, you can go for something like. Wushu, which is very light in terms of skills. In fact, it's all descriptive. 
faith because it's really based more upon who you are versus what your skills might be. I think fate might be a really good choice for this. The new fate core or fate accelerated. But fate accelerated doesn't actually use any skills at all at this point. It uses uh, descriptors for what you can do. So, yeah, so either one of those would be good. This seems to this seems to play into that really well. I mean, something like that, you know. I guess the thing I really like about Weird Zone, you know, and looking back at it again, previously I didn't really look at it that very, you know, quite that seriously. But when I looked at it again this evening, you know, I was looking at it from a, a different, a completely different point of view than I looked at it from before. And I was just like, man, this this really is system agnostic, and and. For something like Fate, or, or, or you know, again like Savage Worlds, or or any of these really light, easy systems, I think it r- is very tailored for something like that. I've never played Fate. I really want to, and and when I do at some point at one of these cons I go to, I'm eventually gonna find somebody who runs a Fate game that I'm gonna join in. I'll be able to to report back on how I think that would work with this. But I really think that this system is completely – it doesn't matter what system you're playing. This setting is just completely – completely be agnostic to any system. But because of the varying situations you're being thrown into, if your skills or your skill descriptors aren't generalized enough or if you can't swap them fast enough – You'll find a lot of situations where you'll you'll be pounding the square peg into the round hole. Oh, sure, sure. Okay, so so you're saying something like very like uh, very intense, like um, I don't know, some of these really crunchy systems like uh, Time Lords or D twenty, D twenty. Sure. Yeah, that would not be a good choice. I think probably not. You probably want something that's very versatile. Yeah, I'm thinking of some actually more storytelling style games out there, like Yesterday's Tomorrows. Uh, it runs off of uh, peril. Literally, there's a thing called peril. It's an attribute you can get, and the more peril you get, the more the more things you can do. So you always want to be in danger. So that's would be more that definitely would fall into the more pulpy, you know, lighthearted uh, system. Uh, would be using something like that. So, like, what do you think? Um, have you guys ever played Amber? No. Or heard of it? Eric Wojcik, the uh, Amber Diceless role playing game. Yeah, it's the original Diceless. So it's it's completely diceless. So I'm thinking something like this would 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 probably do well with something like that, you know, where it's a really just a lot of just storytelling. And I think this would f- really fit in very well with something that is completely diceless and com- and completely just storytelling type element. Because could you imagine? Uh, let's take the, the the concept of Amber, where as I understand it, the Amber characters are mostly like godlike creatures from the amber novels uh could you imagine if your characters were really kind of like these these type of characters and as you're traveling to these different worlds you become more and more uh ingrained in this whole like pseudoscience multiverse where your characters are actually becoming like gods as they travel from these different worlds and maybe that's why they were chosen because we, we never even said why you were chosen or or what happened to create your hab traveling from different you know, to different dimensions and stuff. So so maybe it's leading towards that. That would be a neat concept to do, too. Sort of a, a Michael Moorcock kind of storyline. You know, the, the Eternal Champions. Sure. It's a game system out there called Inspectors. We were talking about doing the Good Deeds game. Well, Inspectors, you have a goal you have to reach getting so many, uh, so many dice. I can actually see taking Inspectors and hacking it as a more generic playing game your zero plot won't move until you really do the right thing, and that basically gives you the no- enough dice, so to speak, in your dice pool, your 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 goal pool, which represents resources and so forth anyway, before it leaves. So yeah, that's one system. It's also very, very light. You only have like five stats, and they represent your different skill areas you're good in. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a fairly simple system. I also was thinking... And I don't know how well it worked, but if you're, if someone would, I would love to see someone try doing it though, would be doing an apocalypse world hack for this. Apocalypse world, if you're not familiar, is a, is a sort of a, a crunchy system, uh, that's got several hacks to it now, and one's called Dungeon World. Because it allows you to build connections between all the players. Basically, when you make your characters, you also build in your connections 
to the other players at that point. But it's also a more descriptive system. It's actually a fairly rules light. It's different enough, though. I think you need to be an experienced GM to use it, though. But it's another good system you could try using. If you do, please let us know so we can actually see how you hack Apocalypse World to, to a weird zone. <laughs> yeah. Well, definitely we'd like to hear from the players out there all the different game systems they used with Weird Zone and what game systems worked the best for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I was thinking GURPS would be another good one just because of the multi-genre aspect. It's my understanding that the advancement in GURPS is not really fast, so you'd have to either you know make the people able to retrain in skills fairly easy, or you'd have to give them a lot of experience every single time so they'd be able to you know, get an opportunity to take new skills to uh, show that they've grown from their experiences on each world that they go to. Yeah, yeah. That's one reason why I didn't suggest uh, the TriTech system, because the TriTech system is very flexible, has tons and tons and tons of skills, but the advancement in it was always the, the weak part of it. You could simply say every... Uh, you know, uh, every place you land, you get another skill point. And therefore, people, you could take new skills any time you wanted to, or you could start advancing other skills that you have. I, I suspect that, you know, that's, that's probably going to be the biggest issue as far as playing this game. If you want to keep playing different adventures every time, representing the different worlds you go to, that means you're going to be thrown into different challenges every time. Your skill set can't remain static. You want to be able to advance your skills or at least adjust your skills. Like with Fate, during the refresh, you can rearrange some of the tiers on your skills on your skills to promote a skill one skill over another. So you so oh last time I really need to be a better fighter, so I'll take my my brawling skill or whatever it is, I move it up one and bring the other one down and so forth and make make alterations that way. Yeah. Well as long as you can play the roles that we talked about, the face guy, the master planner the mechanic, the assault guy, the life support. I mean, as long as you have people who have skills that can do those things and be able to apply them in fairly liberal forms to the tasks that are going to run into, it'll work. But if, if, if it's very strict, if every skill has a very specific usage and you can't break away from that description, then you're not going to find it very successful, I don't think. If you want to take more control along those lines, that's where you do things like you say, okay, we're going to play a traveling carnival. So I put my skills into performance. And so when we go places, we perform and we interact with the customers. The customers tell us their problems and we get involved with them, you know, but primarily our, what we need in order to survive is our primary performance skills that we have from world to world because we're basically you know, still walking the tightrope. We're still doing the magic show. We're still making that super burger that's famous the multiverse over. The Krabby Patty. Yes, the Krabby Patty. <laughs> the Ether Bunny Patty. Right, yes. There's plenty of them, too. Yeah. Those are freaky little dudes. (laughs) So uh, let's wrap this one up. So we like the game, right, Peter? Yes, we do. We do. I I really, actually, I do. I really like it. I like the the, the concept of of things that we can do. And uh, Weird Zone was something that that I actually had had put aside and hadn't even really thought about. You know, Rich sent it to me, and I kind of looked at it. I was kind of like, eh, whatever. It's kind of whatever. When I went back and I really looked at it, I was like, you know what? This is a very, very cool concept. I could probably run a six-month campaign with this without any real effort. Yeah, This is something that I could do quite easily, keep my inner players entertained, jump around, do all kinds of crazy stuff, and I, and I think they would be very happy with it. To go beyond the six-month campaign, I think I would have to do some other things with it. But I don't think that would be a big problem. I don't know. I mean, I guess you could run this for a couple of years if you really wanted to, uh, depending on your players. But I think this is the kind of thing that could introduce you to uh, the other TriTac products from from a completely different direction. You know, instead of, say, for example, Fringeworthy, instead of starting out as an IDET player, uh, you know, your party was this group of individuals that traveled the weird zone for for a year 
you know, year of gameplay or however long that plays into your, your campaign, you know, all those guys show up and say, you know, show up to IDET and are like, they're, they're fringeworthy. And IDET's like, well, where'd you guys come from? And they're like, you know what, dude? I don't really know. Uh, they could also do the same thing with, with Bureau 13. It could lead into a Bureau 13 uh, team. Or you could even have one character. For example, you could uh, switch campaigns to, you know, you're playing Weird Zone for a while and then you guys decide you want to play Bureau 13. And everybody else makes up a Bureau 13 character and you say, you know what? I want to be one of the characters. I want to, I want to play my character from, from Weird Zone. And maybe he was the one guy that jumped off the hab and managed to break free. But it could also lead into, you know, Incursion or any any one of the other TriTech games or any other game you're playing, you know, in particular. You know, maybe you're playing D&D and, and f- for some reason your character winds up in the D&D world. And he's the only modern character in a D&D world. Uh, maybe that's how you explain that. You know, you're, you're just playing some weird, weird dude in D&D. I think that Weird Zone is a great crossover type product. It's good on its own. But... I also think it, it makes for a great interlude into, into any different type of game you want to play. It's a great type of interjection uh, of any type of character into any crazy campaign you want to run. Yeah. I'm actually thinking about coming up with a scenario for a con for this, because this would be a great one-shot con game. Mm-hmm. It does require a, a little buy-in uh, beforehand, because I... Everything goes to heck, and you fly through this great space, you end up someplace, and you have no idea where, why, or what's going on. They may jump a couple times during that during this scenario, because, you know, hey, it's a con game. You can do that. Because of this podcast, I'm going to do a Dragon Con event that is a Weird Zone event, just because of this podcast. Because, uh, you know, prior to this... I hadn't even considered it, but because of this podcast, I definitely want to do it now because I think it'll make a great adventure. Cool. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody, and we'll have more for you next week. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game. Hate the players. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction. No derivatives. And sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, We'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.